Glad for everyone in the building here today. Glad for those who are joining us online. And we welcome you and ask you to just get in the spirit of the service today. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and follow along. We'll be looking at some of the verses more closely in a little bit. I want to read uh, about three verses to get us started and we'll refer to some of the others as we go through it. We've been in the series on the meaning and the search for it in life. Philosophers have long said we are spending our lives trying to discover the meaning of life and even atheists try to search for some kind of meaning in life and sometimes Christians even though they're saved maybe somewhere along the line they kind of begin to wander a little bit and wonder, you know, what is my purpose in life? Does life have meaning? And that's what Solomon was going through when he wrote the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. He had uh, wondered this for a long, long time. He had a relationship with God in the beginning. He drifted far away. And at the conclusion of his life, in his old age, he comes back around full circle where he started and said, you know, it's all, it's all depending on God. Everything in my life has no purpose really beyond the scope of this earthly life unless God is included. I want to preach on the subject, the summation of life. And in the, the chapters that we're not looking at in this series, they tend to reemphasize over and again as in the book of Proverbs, which Solomon also wrote, some principles that are definitely useful, but I chose to go to a summary, a conclusion of the book today. We'll probably go back and preach some messages out of chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 uh, along a period of time, but we'll conclude our series today uh, on the meaning, search for meaning uh, with Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Warren Wearsby said something that I want you to listen we preachers oftentimes will write a theme or a proposition to the message. In other words, when I get through preaching, what do I really want people to know? I mean, if we can condense it all down to just a sentence. Uh, I don't want you to get too used to thinking about that thought because from, from now on you might think, well, we can just do this in one sentence and we'll all go home. <laughs> there is a, a proposition to this message and Wearsby said it well when he said, The joys of the present depend on the security of the future. The joys of the present, which Solomon couldn't seem to get a handle on for a long time. The joys of the present are dependent upon the security of the future. Throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is a man carrying on a debate with himself. He's, uh, he's, he's, you find him in places, and, and I encourage you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes over and over again, and it'll begin to come together. It'll congeal and, and seem to have a more cohesive theme if you'll read it over and think about these things. But Solomon seems to be debating with himself. On the one hand, he's over here debating with himself. He's saying, man, I've tried wealth. I've tried pleasure. I've tried wine, women, and song. I've tried authority and power and riches and science 
And I found nothing that's lasting to satisfy me. So life is just vanity. We're just human beings. We're programmed somehow through nature or something, and we're just programmed. Things are going to happen. People are going to be born. People are going to live. People are going to die. And then the cycle starts all over again, and it's just all vanity. And then on the other side, he debates himself, and he says, Look, you've tried all this stuff, and since you know it's vanity living a life under the sun without recognizing God's involvement in your life, so therefore, it's obvious that life only has meaning, Solomon, self, if we get God involved in our life. And so he goes back and forth, back and forth, debating with himself. And he finally, in chapter 12, comes to some conclusion. He has some conclusions along the way, but he really summarizes it all in uh, chapter number 12. And so fulfilling, a fulfilling life is possible and it's not hopeless, it's not boring, it's not without joy if we get our perspective right and our relationship with God right. Let's read chapter 12, verse number 1 to begin with. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So Solomon is, Solomon is the preacher, it says. He is a teacher, a preacher. He's, he's gathering people together to say, here's what I've learned. Remember the Creator in your youth. Now go to verse number 7. He says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. He's saying, remember in the Garden of Eden, God gathered up a bunch of dust, dirt, mud, formed it into a man and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. That breath being that animal spirit that makes you biologically alive. He said, you're going you're gonna to die. Nobody's exempt from that. And he's saying all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying you better come to grips with the fact so it doesn't catch you off guard thinking you're just going to live on to other. See, when we're young, we can kind of push death off into the future. So yeah, I know it's going to come, but I'm not worried about it. It'll happen a long time from now. And so we tend to forget about it. And then it sneaks up on us one day. We get old one day. Look at now at one other verse and we'll pray. Verse number 13. Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion. Underline that word conclusion in your Bible. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Boy, that's summing it up pretty short, isn't it? <laughs> Let's pray together and we'll get into this passage. Father, I pray that you'd bless us, fill us with your spirit, anoint our ears to hear. Lord, allow us to walk away from this place today saying I've, I've gathered some things from the word of God that's going to help me to face life and death in a more satisfactory way. Lord, bless us today. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're preaching on the summation of life. When it's all said and done... As one guy said, when it's all said and done, more gets said than gets done. But when it all gets said and done, what is life anyway? Is there meaning to life? Solomon said, I think I figured it out finally, but I'm pretty old. And most of my life is back yonder 
And I can't bring it back, but I can tell other people how to avoid spending a life of vanity that I discovered is not worth living, but I'm still alive, and now I'm back with God, and I figured it out. Solomon had tried it all the way around. He'd found out what life without God has to offer. And while we might think it's real satisfying for a time, even the Bible even says that, that you can enjoy the pleasures of sin, but it's for a season, and then it's over. And he, Solomon, logs into his life's journal, so to speak, here in Ecclesiastes, that he has experienced the powerful rush of authority. He was king. He has experienced what it's like to be rich. I mean, so rich, so wealthy, so well-to-do. He could have anything he wanted. He had servants surrounding him. He had money. He could buy anything he wanted. He tried it all. He tried excitement with pleasures. And he found out that too passes. Human knowledge, wisdom, science... Agriculture, he tried it all. He had every hobby that could be known to man and he could afford to buy anything he wanted to experiment with. And this is what he's doing. He's experimenting with life for a long, long time. And he could accurately say that he was a man of the world. He's a man of the world. Man, he had it all. And yet, eventually, he came up empty. He longed for satisfaction that that this world, dear friend, cannot provide. It just can't. God created it. God put within us certain desires, and we can't fulfill those desires with the wrong things and expect to have satisfaction. Turning back to God late in life, he set out to offer help. Solomon said, you know, I can't fix everything that I've done wrong, and I can't fill all the voids of the past, but maybe I can help you. And he found out that God was a sufficient supply. He speaks about, in chapter 12, the inevitable aging process. <laughs> Dan and I were talking about, both of us looking like we'd grown a little older since we saw each other, maybe 25 years ago or so. <laughs> and every time my wife and I, goes to, we go to a... Uh, High school reunion or a funeral or something. We see people we hadn't seen in a long time and, and we whisper, look at those folks over there. Don't they look old? I've said that to her a few times. She said, don't you figure they're over there saying that about us? <laughs> we, we think it's everybody else that's aging, but look, Solomon said it's going to happen to everybody without fail. And getting older is better than the alternative. Solomon explores this process of aging, and we're going to talk about it in a little while. And he explored why youthfulness has certain advantages that we better take advantage of while it's available. And then he gives us the conclusion of how the meaningless, meaninglessness and the puzzle of life is finally solved. First, we look at his brutally accurate description of this aging process, the reality of advanced aging. Now, if you would turn 
turn back to uh, verse number one, and we're going to look at a few things right here. We, we all think we know what it means to get older or to become elderly, become a senior saint. <laughs> we think we know what aging means, and maybe we know incrementally a little of it, but one day we're going to know fully what it means. I used to tease my dad when I was a boy, joke with my dad about him getting old. And, man, he wasn't in his 40s. <laughs> I thought, good night. That would be like a child to me now. <laughs> but aging will catch up with us and we'll know what it means. So we don't want to get caught off, off guard. And that's what Solomon, the Lord is doing through Solomon, is allowing us to get a glimpse into what's coming. And we, can, we just can't fully grasp it I don't, I don't begrudge young people for not knowing what it's like to feel your age when you get 39 like me. <laughs> I don't begrudge them because they can't know. They haven't been there yet. It's kind of like trying to describe to somebody what a fresh cup of top coffee tastes like when you've only drunk gas station coffee. What a real cup of coffee tastes like because they hadn't tried it yet. Well, you'll get a wake-up call one of these days. I was in Walmart, and this has been a few years ago. I was in Walmart, and I asked a lady working in Walmart. I couldn't find a certain item, and I said, could you tell me where that is? And she said, I don't know. She said, I think it's in this area somewhere, but the lady on the other aisle, uh, my coworker, knows exactly where that stuff's at. She said, I'll, I'll find out for you. And she stepped around the corner, and I could hear her talking over the top of the aisle. She said, Susie, there's an elderly man over on the next aisle that needs your help. And I'm looking around to see who the elderly man is. <laughs> I mean, how dare her, right? Walmart should fire her. Well, they did. Now you've got to check yourself out. <laughs> you know, getting old is just going to happen. And young people, you'll laugh with us as we say those things like that. You'll laugh about it and you'll think, yeah, I know it's going to happen. I'm not dumb. But we really don't know what it's like till we get there. And Solomon's trying to give us a little more insight into it. You may have heard of this account of the creation. It didn't come out of the Bible, but I'll read it to you. <laughs> on the first day, God created the dog and he said, What I want you to do, dog, is sit on the porch and, <clears throat> and, and just bark at everybody that comes along. And uh, that's going to be your job in life. And for doing that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog said, well, Lord, that seemed like a long time to sit around and bark. How about just give me a 10-year lifespan, and I'll give you 10 back. And the Lord said, well, okay, if that's what you want. And uh, so then on the second day, God created the monkey, and he told the monkey, he said, what I want you to do is entertain people and do tricks, make people laugh. And for that, I'll give you... Uh, I'll give you 20 years to live. And the monkey said, man, that's a long time to entertain people. He said, how about just give me 10 and I'll give you 10 back. And God said, well, okay, if that's what you want. And so on the third day, God created the cow and said, you have to go into the field and graze grass in the hot sun and, and uh, that's going to be your job all day long. And for that, uh, I'll give you a lifespan of 60 years. And the cow said, man, that's a tough life. I don't think I want 60 years of that. Uh, 
how about just give me 20 years and I'll give you 40 back? God said, well, okay, if it's what you want. And on the fourth day, God created man. And he said to man, he said, now here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to eat, sleep, and play, marry, and enjoy your life, and I'll give you 20 years. And the man said, man, that's a pretty short time, 20 years <laughs> to eat, sleep, and play, and have a good time? He said, how about, uh, how about this, Lord? He said, what if you, uh, you give me uh, the 10 years that the dog gave you back, and the 10 years that the monkey gave you back, and the 40 years that the cow gave you back, and... And he said, then uh, that'll make about 80 when you give everybody's time back that you took for them. And he said, and let me live to be 80. And God said, okay, you asked for it. He said, so that's why in our lives, you and I, for the first 20 years, we eat, sleep, and play and enjoy ourselves. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we just sit on the front porch and bark at people. <laughs> now, if that's your view of life, I can tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> June Hunt, a Christian counselor, estimates our life to be like this. She says, your life is divided up into the seasons. Uh, ages 20 through 40 is kind of like springtime of your life. And uh, young adults will have some common char characteristics uh, like seeking personal fulfillment and enjoyment. And uh, these are the peak years of health and energy. Those of us who are a little older, we know that to be true. <laughs> um, then she says the second season of life is summer. And that would include middle adults from ages 40 through 65. And that's time when you're investing time and effort and work. It's your most productive years of creativity and, and hard work. And then she says autumn is that age between 65 and 80 where we're turning over leadership and control to others and physical life begins to decline and then there's the winter age of life, winter season and the winter season would be 80 years plus and those would be years of dignity and self-respect and years of receiving physical assistance from others and I'd like for you to read along with me now as Solomon gives us this description inspired by God in verse number 1 of chapter 12 <clears throat> Notice with me, first he says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. Now when he's speaking of evil days, what's he talking about? He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the evil days maybe uh, when life begins to kind of get over the hump and go downhill. The evil days where we look around in autumn of our, of our world, you see the leaves starting to turn brown in the autumn. And then in verse number two, he talks about the sun, moon, and stars and their diminishing light. And uh, the diminishing light would, these, this is all figurative language. And so this would be a time where, where there is a dimming of light in our eyes, light in our enthusiasm, 
a dimming and maybe a little more potential gloom. Our joy is not as... You ever notice older people? And I'm not saying everybody's this way, but I'm saying it's, it's more of a temptation for older people to kind of lose some of their enthusiasm and th- some of their cheerfulness and some of their joy. And so he's talking about the, the diminishing light of the sun, moon, and stars. And, and uh, we begin to get potentially gloomy. And you might even be like the guy that called... Uh, he was. He was on his deathbed in the hospital and he called his wife to his side and he said, Honey, he said, I just want to tell you some things. He said, Do you remember when we were younger? He said, uh, I was struggling so hard. We were just barely getting by and then I lost my job. And she said, Yeah, I remember. He said, You were right there by me or you were by my side. He said, And then you remember when I fell down the stairs that time and, and broke some bones. And she said, Yeah, I remember that. And he, he said, You were right there with me. You're by my side. He said, do you remember when I was uh, in that car wreck and nearly died? She said, yeah, I remember. He said, you were there with me at that time. He said, you remember when I, when I went bankrupt and it was such a hard time? She said, yeah, I remember. He said, you were right there by me the whole time. And that one time when there was a drive-by shooting and I accidentally got hit by a stray bullet, she said, yeah, I remember. He said, you were right there by me. And he is on his deathbed. He says, honey, I think you're bringing me bad luck. We can get kind of pessimistic if we're not careful in our old age. We don't have to be. But because of deteriorating health and, and the dimming of the mind and the dimming of the emotions and the cheerfulness that's kind of slipping away, we can become rather gloomy. And Solomon wants us to know that. In verse number 3 he talks about the keepers of the house. Now he's describing the human body here as it deteriorates in the terms of an old house. There was even a song about I think an old country song, country western song about that a number of years ago. This old house, you might have heard it. And the key talks about in verse 3 the keepers of the house, the arms and the uh, the strong men, he says, the strong men begin to bow. As, as people get older, their nice posture, they used to be so tall and straight. Now they begin to get kind of slumped over. The bones are relaxing. The muscles are deteriorating. And they get slumped over. The, the strong men, the grip, their arms, their legs are getting to be bowed a little bit. And... Uh, like one little boy was out walking down the sidewalk with his mother and he saw a bow-legged man. He said, uh, Mom, look at that guy. He's bow-legged. She said, Shh, don't say that. He heard you. That's so impolite to say that. Don't ever do that again. Well, they were out a few days later and, and saw that bow-legged man again. He said, Look, Mom, there's that bow-legged man again. She said, I told you not to say that. That's not polite. And she just took him home, made him go to his room and gave him a book of Shakespeare. She said, I hope you read that and learn your lessons. So the next day they were out after he'd read Shakespeare and he saw that bow-legged man again. He looked at his mother. He said, Hark, what manner of men are these who wear their legs in parentheses? (laughs) Well, we get older and we begin to wear our legs in parentheses. The bones get weaker, the muscles get weaker, and we're aging. And slumped shoulders and legs bowed. And I, saw a, I saw a picture of a man that, 
that I knew years and years and years ago. He's still alive. But I saw him on Facebook, pictures of him. And he was a giant of a man, an evangelist. And he was about this tall, like me. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he really is a big man. I mean, big, muscular. I've seen pictures of him from his youth. And he was always big and tall. Now, these pictures I see of him now on Facebook, he's slumped over. Looks like he's shrunk at least six inches or so, kind of being stooped over. And he's got his walker in front of him and creeping along. He's still going, but he doesn't stand tall and straight. And so that old house is beginning to deteriorate. Then in, in that same verse, in verse number 3, he talks about looking out the windows. The vision are going down. Looking out the windows? Are you with me? You're looking out the windows? When I was in Denver at Mile High Baptist Church in 1993 or four, along in there, I got to where I couldn't see very good, and so I went to the doctor to see what was wrong. He said, well, you probably need glasses. <laughs> I was about 40 years old or so, and he sent me to the uh, optometrist, and the optometrist gave me these tests. He said, yep, you need glasses, all right. And I said, already? He said, it happens to everybody when you turn 40. I said, well, <laughs> I know a few people don't. He said, well, it don't happen to everybody, but you're one of them that happened to, and that's pretty common. And so I've been wearing glasses ever since. The windows are kind of, you know, not as well see through as they used to. Our eyes get dimmer and Solomon's pointing this out and then in verse number four he says when the doors be shut out in the streets when the doors be shut there's some things that our senses go out through our voice we speak with our voice we receive uh, sound waves through our ears and the vision through our eyes and those are the doors of communication and, and the senses that connect us to the outside world and as you age your hearing gets bad, your eyes get bad and your voice gets weak and, and those who used to sing beautiful specials when they were in their 30s and 40s and now they try to sing a special song and their voice cracks, the doors are beginning to shut. And then in verse number four, he says, talks about this thing of old age. And he says, you rise up at the voice of a bird. Birds sometimes sing real early in the morning. And it doesn't take much to wake you up. When you get older, you wake up earlier. I mean, where you used to be able to just sleep in. When I was a teenager, I'd sleep at 10 o'clock in the morning. And man, I just... Snooze away. It didn't bother me at all. It bothered my dad a little bit for me to sleep to 10, but it didn't bother me. And uh, now that I've gotten a little older, I wake up. Nearly always wake up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'll just lay there and make myself lay there until I go back to sleep. And then about 5 or 5.30, if I can't sleep anymore, wake up again. And finally, I lay there and think, maybe I can go back to sleep. You know how it is when you try to force something like that? I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm going to go back to sleep. You can't do it. <laughs> and so I'll get up. I think, well, at least there's coffee. <laughs> and so I'll get up. I used to not look forward to getting up at that time in the morning. I still don't look real forward to it, but it happens. And as you get older, you wake up earlier, and the birds sing, and you say, those blasted birds woke me up. That rooster crowed. And that's what happens as you get older. He's describing this as sleeplessness and early rising. And then he says, the daughters of music brought low. Uh, the voice is cracked and unable to sing. In verse 5, he says uh, something about being afraid of uh, high places and fears in the way. Uh, as you get older, you get, you get fearful sometimes of heights. Where I used to work uh, 
in my late teens, early 20s, I used to work on building construction. And I'd work up on the second story of a new factory building, and, and they have these little purlins, steel purlins, that wasn't any floor on it yet, and they were just about three inches wide, maybe at the most, and they'd be about spaced every two or three feet. I could walk one of those things from one side of the building, there's nothing under me but concrete under there. I'd do it. Now I'm afraid to get on the stepladder. <laughs> I was, <laughs> we went to the Royal Gorge out in Colorado several years ago, and I just had a stroke at the time, and, and boy, that really messed up my perception of height and my ability to deal with it. The, the Royal Gorge has got a, a, a suspended bridge that goes across the canyon, and it's like, I don't, I don't remember now, it's like a couple thousand feet straight down, a quarter of a mile high. And Aaron and Erica is trying to force me to walk across that. Kids are horrible. <laughs> They're trying to they're trying to make me walk. I said, I'm not going to walk it. They said, well, at least go across it with us. I'd walked it years ago, and it didn't bother me, but now I'm not wanting to get on it. And uh, they said, well, ride this, uh, not sky, is it sky lift? Sky tram? Uh, they said, well, at least ride over to the other side uh, on the sky tram with us. And I resisted for a while, and finally I gave in because they nagged me to death. And so I got in the sky tram, and I'm... A little bit nervous about it, but I'm surviving. I looked over at my wife, and she's like, <laughs> she's about to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> now, it didn't used to affect us that way, but you're looking down, and you see nothing but the river a quarter mile below, straight down. <laughs> and we got to the other side, and I, I thought, <laughs> glad to be over here. And now we got to realize we got to get back to the other side. <laughs> so I get on that. They, they finally persuade me that I wouldn't be scared as much if I just walked across that wooden bridge. And you're going across this thing, it's a suspension bridge, and as you're walking across it, it kind of ripples like this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sneaking out on it, like if I sneak real slowly, it won't fall through. And you can see between the boards, there's cracks like that. And you can see all the way to the center of the earth from those things. And I'm walking across that thing, tiptoeing, and I'm thinking, man, there's got to be another side to this thing. I'll get there eventually, maybe if I don't die of a heart attack first. I'm about halfway across, and this park ranger comes through on a little ATV. And I guess he could see my face didn't look real joyful. <laughs> and so he stopped, and he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm going to be better when I get to the other side. He said, uh, here, I'll give you something to kind of be an encouragement to you. And he pulled out a little, a little plastic park ranger badge like they give to five-year-olds <laughs> and handed it to me. I knocked him off the bridge. <laughs> you get afraid of heights when you get older. You get afraid of being in the way, and that might mean that we're afraid to travel. I used to love to travel, man. I don't love it as much as I used to. Uh, if somebody else is doing the driving, okay. But I used to drive all night and not think much about it. Now, uh, just going to town's a chore, and, and we don't socialize maybe as much. The temptation's there to be a homebody, you know, just stay home and and do whatever you need to do there and let somebody else go to the store, have Walmart to deliver your groceries and things like that. I mean, I never was crazy about socializing in Walmart anyway, but things change. And then he says in verse 5, the almond tree flourish. The hair, the almond tree, when it's in bloom, the almond tree is white, almond blossoms. And he's likening this to the human body as you get older. Your hair turns white. Or for some of you, it just turns loose. 
And he says, a even a grasshopper is a burden. <laughs> I don't know if that is implying that lifting something as light as a grasshopper is a chore, or if it means that, you know, in the fall of the year, you see grass, grasshoppers just kind of dragging around. They, they've lost their jump, <laughs> and the grasshopper's dragging around trying to find a place to spend the winter. Well, that's kind of the way it is in old age. And then verse 6, he describes a golden bowl uh, that, which would maybe resemble a lamp in a rich person's house at that time, a golden bowl hanging from a, a, hanging from a ceiling on a silver chain, and that chain breaks and the, the bowl falls to the ground. The, the silver chain of life snaps eventually. And then he talks about the pitcher being broken and the cistern wheel being broken where you draw water, uh, the wheel, things break when you get older and finally your life snaps and it's gone. Then he says dust returns to the earth. The dust we were made from just goes right back into the ground from whence it came. The spirit may go up, but the body stays in the ground. I don't believe in such a thing as soul sleep. And those who interpret that from this passage I think are way off base. They didn't read far enough. So let's ask ourselves this question. That's a, that's a pretty rugged description of, of old age. And what does God want me to know? What does he want you to know from this description of aging, the aging process? Well, number one, God understands your frailty as you get older. God knows how you feel. God knows your emotions. God knows your body. He knows what you can endure and what you can't endure. And things you used to could lift, you can't lift anymore. And uh, the hours that you used to put in doing things and maybe working, you can't do it anymore. God understands. He knows that. He doesn't expect as much physically out of you those days. What else does God want us to know? He wants us to accept it gracefully. When age comes, you can be, you can be bitter, mean-spirited, and you can curse the young people, or you sit on the porch and bark at them. But instead of becoming bitter about young people, we shouldn't hold a grudge against them. And we shouldn't be bitter that we're not young anymore because God's already said this is going to happen. It's just going to happen. And don't be bitter about that which coming. You're going to die. And that's going to happen. It's just going to happen. One man was on his deathbed and families gathered around him and he says, uh, his eyes are shut. And he says, is my family all here? And they said, yeah. Are they all gathered around my bed? And his wife said, yeah, they're all right here. He said, then why is the kitchen light still on? We, see, we're here to guard from light switches being... Dad, that's what dads do. We go through the house and flipping off light switches that the kids left on. And we don't want that light bill to be any higher. Wait till you get the one you're going to get this month. Amen. Oh, I'm telling you. Listen, we don't have to be bitter in old age. And young people, you say, well, I don't have anything to be bitter about. I'm young. You're going to get old. General Douglas MacArthur, one of my heroes, kept these words on his wall. Let me read it to you. Listen carefully, would you? Youth is not a time of life. It is a state of mind. It is not a matter of red cheeks, red lips, and supple knees. It is a temper of the will, a quality of the imagination, a vigor of the emotions. It is a freshness of the deep springs of life. Youth means a Temperamental dominance of courage over timidity. 
of appetite for adventure over a life of ease. This often exists in a man of 50, uh, 50 more than a boy of 20. Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Worry, doubt, self-trust, fear, and despair, these are the long, long, long years that bow the head and turn the, the growing spirit back to dust. Whether 70 or 16, there is in every man's being a heart of the love of wonder, the sweet amazement of the stars and starlight things and thoughts, the undaunted challenge of events, the unfailing childlike appetite for what comes next, and the joy of the game of life. You are as young as your faith, as old as your doubt, as young as your self-confidence, as old as your fears, as young as your hope, as old as your despair. In the central place of your heart there is a wireless station. As long as it receives messages of beauty, hope, cheer, grandeur, and courage, and power from the earth, and from men, and from the infinite, so long are you young. When the wires are down and the central places of your heart be covered with snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then you have grown old indeed. We don't have to be cynical and hopeless. You can decide to maintain, listen, you can decide to maintain your interior youthfulness. In my mind, I'm like 19 years old. Sometimes, and that's why it shocked me for that lady at Walmart to refer to me as an elderly man. I think, not elderly. I just graduated from high school not long ago. <laughs> I'm young at heart, and I don't intend to get old. And, and, and the more we talk about how frail we are and how old we are and how decrepit we are and how death is upon us and how bad all these things are, the more likely we are to experience old age. But as long as we keep thinking we're young, we can be young at heart. We're not a decaying carcass that has no soul, no spirit, no mind. God wants us, young people, listen, God wants, what, what can God teach us out of this description here? God teaches us that it's important how we treat older people too. Amen. Hey, ask Brother Chad. He goes over, he has a ministry at the nursing home over at the Springs. Ask him if it matters to those old people over there if somebody like him and his crew comes in and ministers to them. Does it help them? It does, doesn't it, Chad? How we treat older people is important. How we are as old people, that's important, but how young people treat old people is important. Everyone has opportunities to connect with older folks. Treat them with respect and don't be condescending. Look, I can say these words, but it won't matter unless you let them anchor in your heart. Don't treat old people with condescending attitudes. Don't get behind a, an elderly person who's pushing a cart and just barely shuffling along in the grocery line at the store and saying, I wish that old geezer would get out of my way. You know, they would probably like to be able to move as quickly as you. <laughs> they can't. It's a chore for them to get to the grocery store, much less push a cart around. Instead of becoming impatient, maybe we ought to show a little love, compassion, understanding. Think, 
one of these days, one of these days, that's going to be me. Make them feel important. Give them some recognition. Give them a gift once in a while. Spend some quality time with them. Most old people say the, the thing that hurts them the most, though they won't tell you probably, if you've got elderly parents, grandparents, friends, they're elderly and, and they're kind of shut in, you know what they want probably more than anything else is for you to come by and just sit down with them and listen to them talk. And if they tell you the same story they told you about their childhood the last time you were there, let them. It's important to them. And it's not going to hurt us to listen to them. Be a caretaker when possible. The elderly people in your life are going to need you physically to help them out one of these days, maybe financially, to spend time and money on them, to let them know you care for them. Oh, it's a lonely time for people to have to face the aging process alone. They need somebody to put an arm around them gently and let them know that you're praying for them and you care for them. Seek their advice and their wisdom because they know some things. Somehow, because old people begin to talk slower and maybe, maybe they move slower and maybe their voice is quieter, sometimes people assume that they're dumb. They're not. It's that age that's slowing down their mind. Their mind think, might think a little slower, maybe not. I've known people who are 90 years old who are sharp as a tack but they might not be able to move as quickly as you or think quite as quickly as you or voice their opinions quite as well and quickly as you, but it's there. Don't expect them to do the same things that you can do in later years. (laughs) I think I'm happy about this. I'm not sure... (laughs) Uh, when it's time to change these, our surveillance cameras and charge the batteries or change light bulbs or something. I used to run up the ladder like a squirrel and do all that myself here at the church. Now I've got men that kind of watch me and say, wait a minute, Pastor, let me do that. And they'll go up there and do it for me. And, and, and secretly, I'm, I'm really happy that they're doing it so I don't fall off and break my neck. <laughs> but can't help but be a little offended think, they're thinking I can't do that. <laughs> I found out I can't do things I used to do. You know what else you can do for them? Pray for them. We're all racing towards the autumn of life. And so that brings us to the request of youthfulness. We should learn from those with age and we should not procrastinate making making preparations for when you get old. You might want to think about saving some money. You might want to think about having an IRA. Uh, uh, start to say IRS. Nobody wants the IRS. Uh, IRA and uh, maybe some mutual funds or maybe some kind of savings account, but accumulate some way to take care of yourself, have some kind of retirement because you will get old someday if you hang around long enough. And, and you might want to prepare your family for your departure. Educate them. Train them. Let them know what they're going to have to do when you're gone. You don't have to be morbid about this, but it's just part of life. You can do this. Young people, you do it while you've got the strength, the enthusiasm, and the ambition to do it while you're young. Because when you think of it in your old age, it's going to be way too... It's like 
This is like buying a spare tire after you've already had a flat. <laughs> so, young people, be close to God. Have a right relationship with God early in life so that when you get older, you're prepared for it spiritually. You're ready to cross over that river we sang about a little bit earlier. Caleb in the Old Testament and Joshua, Caleb was in his 80s and he said, man, he said, I'm as young as I ever was. He said, I want that mountain. He wanted to conquer that mountain where God had given him some land. He was still young and spry at heart, maybe, maybe not physically as much, but he had ambition and he was ready to move on. I'm glad for our age span here at Liberty Baptist Church. We got, we got a nursery full of babies and more babies are just coming all the time. I say, man, this is one way to grow the church. Let's keep it up. <laughs> uh, we got, we got middle, middle-aged adults, young adults, middle-aged adults. We got people in every season of life. And I like it that we can sit in here together like on Sunday nights. We, you know, I, I'm thankful for our Wednesday night program with the teens and with the master club, sixth graders and down and the teens. I'm glad for all that. But I'm glad we have, we're always going to have some services where all of us are in here together. The little kids, the uh, older Kids, teens, young adults, older adults. You know, you ought to teach your kids to get, sit down beside some older adult and just visit with them, make friends with them. You, you don't have to always have friends within your own age group. Have friends outside your age group. And that will benefit both of you. There's a mutual benefit. And then there's uh, number three, the last point is the reckoning of life. Verses 13 and 14, I'd like to read these. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of, life, of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. I've underlined that word judgment because there is one day a reckoning. We, we talked a lot about the physical life today, and Solomon has emphasized this aging process. But listen... This, this life is not all there is. And when death comes, that grave does not have to be the end. And hell does not have to be your eternal home. In one of these verses in chapter 12, he talks about when man goes to his long home. Probably meaning long home, the eternal place where we'll spend all eternity. It could be there or it could be down there depending on your relationship to God. A long home could also describe a casket. That's kind of a long home. Either way, this life on earth is not all there is. This life that Solomon said is under the sun, that's not all there is. There's going to be an eternity that never ends. And those who have a right relationship with God, they've been saved by the grace of God. They trusted Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross of Calvary to get forgiveness for their sins. They have been born again into the family of God and so will eventually go to His abode, go home to the Father to live for eternity and receive the full the full fulfillment of all that we ever craved and desired on earth. But those who reject the offer of Jesus Christ for salvation will surely die and go to hell and they'll be there forever. There is no second chance. When you take your last breath, when that silver cord is broken, life on earth is over and eternity is sealed. 
It's either going to be sealed for eternity in heaven or it's going to be sealed as an eternity in hell. No in between. No purgatory. No second chances. God is a loving God and He will give you eternal life if you turn to Him in faith. Trust what Jesus did on the cross for forgiveness for your sins. That puts you in the family of God and then you can relax and when that day of death comes, it does not have to be a tragedy. It can be a glorious day. I read the accounts of several preachers who had preached all of their life. One of them on his deathbed, they said, how do you feel? Somebody asked him at, at his deathbed, how do you feel? He said, I see the lights of glory in the distance. I've also read the accounts of atheists and somebody asked them how they felt. And they said, hopeless, hopeless. There's nothing left. I fear the flames of hell. You have the choice to receive him or reject him. I would encourage you, Christian, you've already had the gift of eternal life. Now focus on having a right relationship with him. Don't put other things in front of him. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek him first. That doesn't mean put your family above God. If you put God first, then your family will come into the right place. Sometimes people will make the excuse, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing my job. You know, I've got to work my job. and I've got these hobbies and stuff and they don't come to church because they're just too busy with other stuff. Are you saying, preacher, are you equating church with being right with God? Yeah. I understand there's some people that because of their health conditions can't come to church. They like to, but they can't. Yeah, they, they can still have a right relationship with God. But if somebody chooses to reject the church that God instituted for the Christian's benefit, then that is an attitude that you don't come first, my things come first. And Christian, we can have a right relationship with God and our life is not hopeless, it's not vanity if we're right with Him. Lost person, if you'll trust Him as Savior today, you can have eternity in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd bless us in this invitation time. Challenge our hearts to be right with you. I pray that you'd bless in a wonderful way